When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Led's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley, as we are here now after some mild technical difficulties. But, Josh, we made it. We made it. We're here. We're ready to pod. The pod stops for nobody. Exactly. No no man or machine can, can stop the Hangout pod. Uh, so we are back with you for another episode this weekend. There's a lot to talk about today. Um, obviously, the conference title games have happened. The, the playoff, the final playoff bracket is out. But before we get to some of that stuff, there is some Ohio State news and notes to, to go through here. Um, this time around, not as positive as they were last time. Um, Ohio State, since the last time we have talked, has seen two transfers leave the program in five stars. Well, actually three. I don't know if we talked about Jack Miller last time we were here. I think we did a little bit, but... Uh, Jack Miller has transferred, and in a not surprising move, we knew one of those quarterbacks was going to leave. But the more surprising move from that room was the transfer of five-star quarterback Quinn Ewers. Um, his his new destination has not yet been decided, but he has entered the transfer portal. Um, um, kind of kind of a tough thing for Ohio State. It, you know, it was kind of it was kind of on him that the situation was so deep because he decided to to come out of school a year early, and it kind of threw things off in the timing of how these quarterbacks were going to be rolled out. Obviously, you have. You know, C.J. Stroud returning next year. Quinn Ewers obviously wants to start in his second year at a program, and that that's something that that wasn't going to happen with Stroud returning. Ohio State still also has Kyle McCord, and they also just landed Devin Brown, as we talked about on our last episode. So a, a pretty deep quarterback room. Quinn Ewers becomes a casualty of it. It's tough to see him go. Obviously, he's a very highly touted recruit. I'm sure he'll have success elsewhere, but it was just, you know, it was a weird situation from the beginning, and this is a, a bitter end to it, I would say. Yeah, I am mildly surprised by the timing, but I'm actually not surprised that it happened. It it always seemed a bit odd, right? Um, Ewers was a Texas commit, decommitted, came to Ohio State, you know, 15 minutes before spring practice started. Really, there was no chance that he was going to, well, I shouldn't say there was no chance, but there was a smaller chance than not that he would probably sit around the three, four spot for most of the season as he kind of played catch up and learned and this, that, and the other. 
And so the timing of that was odd. You didn't hear a, a ton of great things about him throughout the course of the season. Not that he was doing poorly or that he was a bad kid or anything like that. But for a guy that came in with so much hype, he just kind of floated and, and stayed around that fourth string position on the quarterback depth chart. So it, it's not as if he was lighting the world on fire and nothing against the guy. It seems like it was a bit of a money grab, perhaps, right? And I don't fault him at all for that. Go and make a bunch of money. Go potentially play for a national title, play for Ohio State. All of that sounds great on the surface. You're going to get paid essentially as a high school senior and learn from Ryan Day. So all of those were smart decisions on his behalf, but... The fact that this happened so quickly, it, it sort of makes me think that the thought process from maybe him and his family advisors and things like that was go to Ohio State, learn from Ryan Day, play for the Buckeyes, and you know take over the starting position next year. But if that doesn't happen, you've got an out, right? You're a Texas guy. You don't want to piss off those Texas schools if you eventually want to go back there. And so that's sort of what it seems like is he he sort of used Ohio State and maybe I'm being too harsh, but again, he used them smartly and I don't fault him for that, but it it just seemed like it was this marriage of convenience and he left himself an out. Now, I'm sure he's, you know, maybe there's some homesickness involved and stuff there, too, but he does he doesn't strike me as a guy who wanted to come and sit anywhere for two years. He wants to play and rightfully so. So um, he's going to go look for an opportunity elsewhere. I'm sure he'll be given an opportunity depending on the school that he chooses, but I don't think it hurts Ohio state. It doesn't help Ohio state. You don't want to lose one of, if not the greatest or the highest uh, rated high school quarterbacks to ever play the game, but Ohio state will be fine. Um, I would have loved to have seen him, come as part of the 2022 class, I think maybe things would have been a lot different, but here we are and we just, we move on. Yeah. I think there's, you know, you can place blame on both sides in this case, you know, like I said, him coming early kind of threw things off in the whole pecking order of the quarterbacks. I'm sure he didn't really expect CJ Stroud to have the type of season he has where he's probably going to finish, you know, number two in the Heisman voting. And I I think he kind of thought that he was going to have more of a chance to start next year. And and I don't think he's, you know, I don't think they even would have really given him a real shot to start next year because I don't think you're going to, you know, take away CJ Stroud's starting job. Even if you, you know, I'm sure Ryan Day will go into the season saying that it's some kind of quarterback battle between he and Kyle McCord, but we all know that Stroud's going to start again next year. So I I think Ewers knew that as well. He probably talked to coaching staff about it and they they probably told him as much. So yeah, he'll, he'll probably transfer somewhere back home I'd imagine he'll go to one of the Texas schools whether that be you know the Longhorns A&M Texas Tech and I, I imagine he'll get a chance to to start from day one there you know as he probably would have as a freshman you know he came to Ohio State kind of taking a risk with all these quarterbacks and knowing there was going to be a stiff competition for the job and he thought he'd win it out and it seemed like you know it kind of you know, it's tough he was he like you said he should have been a high school senior this year and now he's competing with the big boys up here a year ahead of him there were already guys that were on campus way ahead of him that, that got a leg up on him in the competition yeah we didn't see him get really any snaps this year he had two snaps in, in the last game uh and all he did was hand off the ball he didn't throw a pass we saw you know Kyle McCord and and uh Jack Miller both got you know, limited snaps this year, but they at least did see some some game action. They both at least attempted a pass. 
Um, so clearly he was, you know, fourth in that room. Even after Jack Miller left, he was probably third. And now with Brown coming in, it's just, you know, another another guy to add to the competition. So I don't blame him for leaving. I know he wants to start. There were some rumors out there that he had some claws in his contract to, that he needed to start X amount of games to, to earn some NIL money. That that wound up not being true. That's apparently uh, not allowed under the NIL rules. And so that was taken out of, the, of his final contract. So it wasn't anything like that. But, you know, like you said, you don't really, you don't blame the kid. At the end of the day, he's like, you know, 18, 19, however old he is, he should have been a, a senior in high school this year. He wanted to make make some cash, learn from a good quarterbacks coach and Ryan Day, and now he's you know seeking opportunities elsewhere. And you know Ohio State will be fine, but it's you know it does suck to lose a guy that was you know so hyped up and so highly highly ranked as Ewers was. Um, and what more shocking news? You know we knew we knew the quarterback situation was going to play out weird with all these guys in the room. We knew all of them were going to stay, and you know Ewers was always a possibility to leave. And now that that has happened, it's you know we move on, like you said. Um, but the the more one of the more surprising ones, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say super surprising, but just you know kind of I, I was a little bit more sad about this one just because I really like this guy as a player. Uh, Craig Young has also entered the transfer portal. Craig Young is a guy who who came here as a linebacker. Ohio State tried to move around a bullet. Um, you know, I think which was the wrong decision. This is a guy that that should have been playing linebacker for Ohio State this year. I mean, he's he's like six three, two thirty. I don't know why you're trying to to play him at a bull position that he's probably never going to play, especially when you have a guy like Ronnie Hickman there that that you trust and you like and you expect to be the number one guy there pretty much every down. Um, I think Craig Young probably could have had a pretty significant role in this team next year, whether that be at linebacker or something in, in the secondary if they tried to move him around. But I liked Craig Young as a player. We saw him kind of coming on later in the year. He looked like a guy that could contribute if he was given you know more opportunities, and now we won't get a chance to see that because he is he's moving on. And I think that's because of the Michigan game. If I had to pinpoint one time in place, you know, he saw his snaps increase throughout the season. Um, and he, he played more in some games than others, but it sort of steadily crept up his play count. That is. And it seems like it seemed like the Ohio state coaches were developing some more trust in him. And then he played six snaps against Michigan, a game in which they got run all over run out of the big house essentially. And so if you're Craig young, you're like, well, what's going on here? What do I have to do? I, I've proven myself to be a great athlete. He had a pick six this year, uh, seemed to be on the ascent. And then a game in which they needed their best defenders on the field, he didn't get an opportunity. So I'm with you. I think it's, again, mildly surprising, but this is sort of the result of playing so much musical chairs and trying to get, you know, trying all these different lineups and always mixing it up. There are going to be guys who think that they deserve an opportunity that don't get them. I think that Craig Young is clearly one of those guys. But at the end of the day, he was here for three years and he really didn't get on the field that much. So I can't, again, I can't blame him for that either. I, I really do think that he would have had a big role with this team next year, but you know, who knows if the defensive coaches are still going to be the same. You've got guys like CJ Hicks and Gabe Powers coming in at linebacker. And he saw other guys who are going to come back and be on the team play more than him. So he may have seen writing on the wall that, uh, that maybe he was going to have to fight and claw again, just to play on special teams and play as a reserve. So he's going elsewhere too. I, it's really a bummer because he is a guy, I think you and I both talked about it. We both had high hopes for him. And I thought that just his athleticism, his combination of size and speed was truly special. And it, it could have been used by this Ohio State coaching staff, but they clearly saw otherwise. And so now we've got another guy moving on 
to a different program. And uh, I just hope it's not within the Big Ten. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and you would think, you know, especially against a team like Michigan that was running the ball so heavily, you'd want a guy of, of Craig Young's size and abilities on the field. But I, I guess not. And it is it is frustrating to see because now this is the the second quote unquote linebacker to transfer from Ohio State this season. We saw Dallas Gantt leave the program earlier in the year. We saw Javante um, John Baptiste, which was short, which was more of a uh, not Javante John Baptiste. Uh, it was who's was, who was the guy that transferred the other guy that left the game mid game. Yeah. It was Baptiste. Oh, Dallas Gant, and that, but someone else transferred too. I thought it was. I don't think it was Gant. Who? What? Didn't somebody like leave the game like mid game? Was it that Gant? Uh, I guess it could have been Gant, but either way, uh, it's the second linebacker we've seen transfer from the program this season, and it, it is frustrating because it seems like you know Ohio State's staff kind of was like struggling at the end of the year and saying they had all this this lack of linebacker depth, but it was by pretty much their own doing because a lot of guys that, that could have played linebacker they had moving around to other positions. You had a guy like Craig Young on the roster who you moved to bullet for seemingly no reason where you could have used him at linebacker. And it was just, it was odd to see, like, I don't know, it just felt, you know, we're going to have a, a, a probably a, a much more in-depth discussion about Ohio State's coaching staff coming up here as we, you know, have a couple of weeks off from games. But it's just, it's frustrating to see that, like, this staff doesn't seem to have a, a firm grasp on, on the guys they have already on the roster and how to use them. And, and Craig Young was just another example. Like you said, you know, when he's been on the field, he's made plays. It seemed like he was trending towards more and more playing time. It would seem in a game like the Michigan game that he could have been used, but he, he just wasn't on the field. And, you know, while, you know, you had one linebacker you, you sort of trusted in Steel Chambers, and outside of that, you really didn't have much else. Like Cody Simon wasn't spectacular as the year went on, and especially in the run game, and, and he wasn't really that all that great in coverage either. So it, it's not like you had like a, a second linebacker you had to have on the field at all times. Um, so I don't know why you wouldn't even at least try Craig Young there. And, you know, we saw Tommy Eichenberg get better as the year went on, but, you know, even he was a guy that, that could have been pushed for playing time by Craig Young. And it, it just feels like this team had a bunch of guys that are talented and athletic that the the staff didn't really know what to do with. You know, I think of guys like Cam Martinez, um, Lathan Rantham, just kind of guys that were, were floating around between safety and corner and bullet. And it just seems like they have, Ohio State has so much talent on its defense and the staff that they had this season and even last season just didn't know what to do with their guys. And as a result, you've seen some of these guys now leave the program. Yeah, and it was Kayvon Pope is the other linebacker. I had That's to look that up real quick. Of. And we should have known that, but maybe it's a little bit early for us. It's a Sunday, right? But Pope was the other guy who left. And yeah, the way that I look at it, at the end of the day, Ohio State is going to continue to recruit well and bring in these four and five star guys. But what we saw this week is they lost a potentially generational quarterback and an uber athletic linebacker, which is a position that they have struggled at. So that's the big thing to me is, yeah, you're going to, you're going to bring in talent and you're going to continue to do that, but you can't continue to lose talent as well. And they lost a couple of really talented guys. So, um, and, and who knows, we'll, we'll have podcasts, we'll have discussions throughout the off season. It, this may not be the end of the transfers, uh, especially with the new one-time rule. These guys can go and look for other opportunities without having to sit out and, with the NIL and all of that, guys want to get on the field. And I, I go back to the musical chairs that Ohio State played, especially with their defensive players. Um, it, it's good to get those guys reps and opportunities. And yes, you are getting more guys playing time, but you may be rubbing some other guys the wrong way, or you may be putting other guys in um, a position where 
they think that they deserve more playing time, but they're not getting it. So you can't fault these guys. You know, if it were you and I out there, we'd want to play too. I think it's, it's just a completely different ball game. And I, I think for yours, it's a little bit different, but for Craig young, like he wasn't, he's not waiting on the sidelines waiting to be coached up by uh, a staff and a team that is year in, year out, one of the best defenses in the country. If you leave that opportunity in that situation, maybe you're hurting yourself. But Ohio State's defense, they were not world beaters this year. So why do you want to sit behind a guy on the 32nd ranked defense in the country or something like that when you can go and play elsewhere and potentially play for a better defense and a better staff. And, you know, I don't know if he had any issues with those guys, but um, whereas yours, I think, look, if he is what he's supposed to be, he will go and be successful elsewhere, but he is taking a chance in going to another school that doesn't have Ryan day. But I think he'll probably look for the best situation and he'll make a, a decision that's best for him. And if he goes to a Texas, you know, Sark is uh, a really good offensive mind. If he went to a Texas Tech, there are rumors that Graham Harrell could come back to Texas Tech. So he could play in that run and shoot offense and throw the ball 60 times per game and showcase his talent. But um, the young thing, I think it's just yeah, hey, why do I want to ride the bench for a defense that underperformed this year? I can go somewhere and, um, you know, he's an Indiana guy. Heck, what if he wants to go to Notre Dame? Then we would see him really early. We'd see him the first game of the season potentially in 2022. So um, I don't even want to throw that out into the, the atmosphere. That's me knocking on wood. I hope that doesn't happen, but maybe he ends up at an IU or a Purdue or something like that. So um It'll be really interesting to see what the fallout is of Ohio State's season, I think. Yeah, I, I don't think you're far off with that. I think there is a, a pretty good chance that we will see Craig Young on the opposing sideline uh, sooner rather than later if he does decide to go to one of those Indiana schools. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the transfer portal and the, the ease of use of the transfer portal is kind of a new thing in, in college football. I think we're going to see, you know, a lot of player movement back and forth this year from, you know, from everywhere, but from Ohio State even too. I don't know how many more guys will transfer out of the program, but, you know, I think well, we could see Ohio State bring some guys in. Obviously, they're going to bring in, you know, a pretty, pretty talented freshman class. So there will be, you know, more player movement this offseason. I wouldn't be surprised if one or two other guys hit the portal. We still haven't seen a guy, you know, we haven't seen any of the, the expected starters for next year hit the portal yet, which is which is good. So, you know, if we start to see some of that, then obviously there's issues there. I, I know I, I think that Ohio State still has coaching staff like things to figure out on the defensive side of the ball, which we'll we'll get to at a later date. But at the end of the day, I don't think this is the end of of the transfers we see either in or out. And, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a weird offseason. The, the coaching carousel has been crazy. I think the player movement is going to be pretty crazy as well. So that'll be something to look in for. But before we go to offseason stuff, we still have to talk about what's happening this season. And, you know, we had a pretty we crazy. We, we do have to, unfortunately, Josh. <laughs> um, however, it was, you know, even though Ohio State didn't play yesterday, it was a pretty fun uh, championship Saturday. There were a lot of good games on um, a lot of very impactful games in terms of the college football playoff, which, you know, we now have the final rankings for but before we get to those rankings um just some of the games i wanted to talk about obviously the, the big one that we have to start with is alabama georgia uh you know i was i was the guy all year saying that i thought georgia was going to win by multiple scores i didn't think alabama had a chance in this game um i was i think i was fooled by georgia i think i was fooled by a a soft schedule they had where they they didn't play any teams that could throw a forward pass 
And, and the second that they played a, a high-powered passing offense like Alabama's, they got exposed a little bit, especially in that secondary. You know, early on, that defense looked really gassed. You know, especially on the defensive line, those guys, hands on hips, really tired. Just Alabama was running a lot of hurry up, something I don't think Georgia's seen a lot this year. Um, and they struggle with it. Alabama won the game 41-24. Jameson Williams had a huge game, seven catches, 184 yards, two touchdowns. Bryce Young played really, really well. I think he, you know, if he did, if he hadn't already locked up the Heisman, I think he did it yesterday. Um, and you know, we saw a Georgia defense that was that's been lauded as like an NFL-esque defense. They got they got bullied. I mean, they they let up 24 points to Alabama in the second quarter alone. It was not a pretty for performance by Georgia in any means. Um, Stetson Bennett, I thought, played awful. I don't even think he's the best quarterback on his own roster, and I, I can't believe Kirby Smart is continuing to trot him out there when they have JT Daniels on the roster as well. Um, and it's just, you know, Kirby Smart loves to lose big games, and he he's done it yet again. I think that's, you know, all in all, those are the things that kind of went into this game. I think Nick Saban called, you know, had a great game plan. Him and Bill O'Brien put together a great plan to, to attack the Georgia defense and some of the weaknesses they saw. I thought Georgia's safeties played pretty poorly, especially on a lot of those deep balls. And, you know, it was it was kind of surprising to me. I thought Georgia was going to go in there and handle them, and it looked like early they were going to. They, they took a 10 nothing lead early on. And, you know, from there, it was all Alabama. I... Gene, I don't even know what the point of it is anymore. <laughs> Alabama rules the world. They will continue to do so as long as Nick Saban is at the school and he brings in these NFL coaches to play, you know, secretary and personal assistant to him and, um, you know, coach well below their capability, but get uh, rewarded handsomely in doing so. Uh, it sucks, man. Like <laughs> Alabama's so good. And, I thought this was the season that they were going to be left out. Um, LSU was a 500 team. They beat LSU by a score. They eked one out against Auburn. Auburn's a 500 team. They won by one score against Arkansas, and they needed like infinity yards passing from Bryce Young to do so. But I think what yesterday showed me is it's a one or two game season for Alabama. They know that they just need to get through the regular season. It doesn't always have to be pretty, but then they coach their best in the biggest games. And that's a credit to Nick Saban. It's a credit to Bill O'Brien. Like you said, I mean, this guy is coached in the NFL playoffs as a head coach and he's the offensive coordinator and he dialed up a good one. You mentioned the hurry up Jordan Davis, especially on Georgia. I mean, he kind of got, eliminated from the game because he was constantly gassed that secondary had not faced a set of wide receivers like Jamison Williams and John Mechie, who is apparently now out with a, an ACL. So we'll see what the repercussions of that are, but Nick Saban, just like I said, he rules all. And I do think that Georgia, they were not the better team. I think that they are a better team than they showed yesterday but they've clearly got some holes. Um, Alabama's defense had not been world beaters like they were in years past. Georgia struggled to run the ball against them. Stetson Bennett, yes, he put up some yards, but he threw two picks. And, uh, you know, some of that was in quote unquote garbage time that he put up stats. I thought once I saw George Pickens back on the field, I guess he made an appearance against Georgia Tech and sort of got a warm up in. I was like, oh, that's great. For, for Georgia, they're going to be this balanced offense. They've got Brock Bowers, who's an awesome tight end, and then they get Pickens back, and you know they weren't able to do enough, clearly, and they gave up 41 points to Alabama. 
you're right. Bryce Young cemented his Heisman Trophy. You can go ahead and carve his name into it right now. The one thing that Alabama didn't do particularly well is run the ball, but they didn't really need to. And they did run the ball 26 times, though. So the fact that they kept trying it kept Georgia off balance just enough to where Alabama was able to take some deep shots, get Jamison Williams open in the middle of the field, that slant. Uh, I wanted to rip my TV off the wall. Alabama loves the deep slant and you, you can't give that up. Henry Ruggs did it. Devonte Smith did it. Jamison Williams does it. You can't give up that slant. You know, they're looking for it. And this Georgia defense is going to have to regroup and they'll have an opportunity to do so against Michigan, which I know we'll talk about. But I don't want to say they were, they are fraudulent, but they are clearly not the team that a lot of people thought that they were. Yeah, and speaking of running the football, you know Georgia coming out in that game, you know they were running the football at will. They're 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 ripping off you know six, seven, eight yards of carry early in that game. And then the second they went down, they just started trying to air it out. And that that's just clearly not their offense. And I have no idea why they went that way. And I'm really getting tired of coaches coaching like idiots against Alabama specifically, where, you know, I feel like every coach treats them like an entirely different entity where they just they alter their entire game plan to try to to beat Alabama at their own game. And you're just never going to be able to do that. You have to play your own game in the best way you could play your own game to beat that team. And it was just, it was so frustrating to see them go away from the run, which was working so well and try to air it out, which they haven't you know done all year. They've been a running football team all year. And now it's the Spider-Man meme, right? In your biggest game of the year. Now you're trying to air it out with Stetson Bennett. And it's just, you know, teams, treat Alabama so differently and they, they coach so scared against them and so weird. You know, we saw Ohio State even do it in the national championship last year. You just, if you get behind on this team, the coaches just freak out and it makes, you know, an already good team, it makes their job even better, even easier. So like, I don't know, it's just, it's annoying to watch. Alabama's probably going to win a national title again because I don't know if anybody else in the field could beat them. But Alabama's best yeah. opponents are the teams that have nothing to lose. Because they will stop at nothing, you know. They'll they'll pull out everything in the playbook. They'll um, they'll run cover zero blitzes at Bryce Young. Like they'll throw everything against the wall. Whereas when they go up against these upper echelon teams, you're right. I think that they get tight because of the expectations. Whereas like I look at Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. They didn't give them a great game this year, but Lane Kiffin has given. Um, you know, saving some fits during his time at Ole Miss. And um, just uh, that's a guy who doesn't coach scared, though. He's like, look, I've got Matt Corral. We're going to throw the ball 50 times. We're going to get creative. And uh, you need a coach like that who is, you know, he's willing to talk before the game and he didn't look good as a result, but he went in there with swagger and confidence and, He tried, you know, he wasn't tight. He just got beat. I would rather have a team go in and try everything, pull out all the stops, than kind of go away from what you're, you're good at and kind of tighten up in these tight games. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this game because there are other games to talk about, but one of, one of the most surprising things about this game for me was how Georgia wasn't able to get any pressure on Bryce Young. And I've watched this Alabama team a couple times this year. Their offensive line was terrible. I mean, they couldn't block anyone against Auburn. They had they had a tough time blocking Arkansas. And now you're going against supposedly the best defense in college football. And they, they did nothing up front, especially with the way, you know, with how good their defensive line was. And I, I feel like Saban just has a switch that he flips when he gets into big games. And it's just like, oh, our, our bad players are good now. 
And and the the offensive line of Alabama's that has struggled all year played their best game of the season against you know what was supposed to be the best defense in college football. And I don't, I was I was very surprised by that. I don't really know what happened there. How that's something that just you know their offensive line suddenly becomes good with the same players that were already playing. But that was I think that was really the story of the game here. Georgia wasn't able to get pressure, and Bryce Young was able to to take his time, find his open receivers, and make things happen. Yeah, it's that big game thing. You mentioned it. Georgia's defense wasn't able to get a lot of pressure. <clears throat> That's Nick Saban, Bill O'Brien. That's everyone on the Alabama staff saying, hey, we need to be at our absolute best and coaching those guys up to do so and be there. And they succeeded once again. I, I'm running out of words at this point. It's Alabama in big games. It, this team, like Nick Saban's Alabama team, is one of the best teams in big games that I can think of in any sport in a long time. You know, it's like um, they are Jordan in the finals, essentially. They are LeBron in the playoffs. They are, you know, pick a big game pitcher who who's always his best in the postseason, like a Verlander or a Scherzer or something like that. Um, that's Nick. That's Alabama football. And again, credit to those guys. They're just, they're so tough and so good. Yeah. There's a lot of coaches in college football who are, you know, either really good recruiters, but not the best, you know, in-game coach or, you know, they're a really good in-game coach. They just don't have the best roster. They can't, they can't recruit as well. Nick Saban is that rare combination of both. And he, he puts it on display every time his team is in the, the national spotlight. But moving on here to the other, the other big game in terms of, of playoff seating, the, the big 12 title game where Baylor knocks off Oklahoma state 21 to 16, uh, Mike Gundy, much like Kirby Smart, crumbles in a big game. Uh, Spencer Sanders, who we talked about, you know, I, I had said last week when we were doing our preview, not the best quarterback in the world, and boy, did he not play well in this game through four <laughs> interceptions. Um, his offensive line didn't do him any favors, but he had some really, really bad picks in this game. Uh, Oklahoma State's offense overall was pretty atrocious. They scored one touchdown in this game. Uh, Baylor was playing with a backup quarterback and their offense looked much more in tune than, than Oklahoma State's was, even though they didn't score any points in the second half. It was just, it was an ugly football game. It was a, it was a true sickos game where it was just, you know, two teams seemingly trying to lose a football game for four quarters. Um, but Oklahoma State does drop the game, drop out of the, the playoff rankings entirely. And it was, you know, it was not, not, not the most fun game of the weekend to watch, even though it was a close one. I must be a sicko because I had a lot of fun watching that game. You're right. Ton of turnovers, some, some questionable play calling to say the least, you know, when Baylor went for it on fourth down from their own 38 up two scores, I was like, they just gave the game away. Um, now, obviously I, I was proven to be wrong, but I'm not surprised Oklahoma state. Uh, I feel like they can sort of get to the doorstep. They can get the, to the precipice of success, but Mike Gundy, look, he's done some great things at Oklahoma State. They're a good program. They're probably, you know, they've probably exceeded expectations, but they've never played in a game of that magnitude with that much on the line. And, you know, Spencer Sanders, he's not a, a freshman quarterback. He's been there. He's an experienced guy. Seems like he was just sort of running around with his, uh, you know, like a chicken with his head cut off. Now, the running back was out. I'm sure that that hurt the offensive game plan and their execution a bit, but Credit to Baylor with that backup quarterback, Dave Aranda. He's a guy they won two games last year and ended up winning the Big 12 this year. Huge turnaround. He's a guy that I want Ohio that I wanted Ohio State to target as a defensive coordinator a few years ago and um, would have loved to have had him this year. But 
I think credit and respect to Baylor. I, I did not expect them to obviously win the big 12 championship, but um, to come out and sort of impose their will during that game, a lot of big hits. It was just, it was a physical game and that's why I think it was fun to watch. And then the goal line stand to end it. That was crazy. It was sort of reminiscent of Michael Penix Jr. against uh, Penn State, right? When he barely got the nose of the football in. And I think that was a fourth down too. Granted, the stakes weren't nearly as big, but for Oklahoma State to come up six inches short or something, that's sort of a, a heartbreaker. But I think because of the fact that Baylor played without uh, played with a backup quarterback and there were some some errors and some miscues. I do not think that they had a chance of sneaking into the top four unless they had maybe blown the doors off of Oklahoma State. And we saw that today, too, with the way that they ranked all those teams. Yeah, the end of this game was absolutely crazy. I was, you know, it was almost at the point where I was kind of thinking Baylor was going to have to let them score so they could get the ball back and try to put up points again. Because Oklahoma State ran, had the ball like the one and a half yard line and, and literally just needed that touchdown to win the game. And and Baylor makes an incredible goal line stand. Like you said, the guy, he dove for the pylon, came up just short on fourth down to seal it for Baylor. Um, yeah, Dave, Dave Aranda is, is an incredible coach. Happy for his guys. This is a team that, you know, if had had they not dropped that weird game to TCU, probably would be in the playoff as, as a 12-1 and Big uh, Big 12 champ. Um, you know, they finished as it was, uh, you know, right outside. So, uh, you know, this is this is a good team. This was, uh, you know, even without their, even without Gary Bohannon, their starting quarterback, they played a really good game. Their defense played phenomenal. Um, and yeah, credit credit where credit is due. Uh, you know, like you said, Oklahoma State's running back was out, and I'm you know Jalen Warren's a good running back. It's I'm sure that that had a big toll on their offense with you know especially having not the greatest quarterback in the world. So a lot of things in that game. Both teams missing big guys, but Baylor was the one that was able to to overcome it better, and and they won the football game. So credit to them. It it did make a big shift in the in the playoff rankings. Um, couple other big games with without as much uh on the line I was well the same amount on the line but but not as much uh hype I would say around it was was the Cincinnati Houston game which I had a lot of fun watching um Cincinnati I, I'm super happy for Luke Fickle you know his his guys deserve this he deserved this for you know these these last two seasons these last couple seasons he's really put together at Cincinnati caps off his undefeated regular season with an American Conference title 35 to 20 over Houston this was a game that was it was pretty hotly contested in the first half it went into half 14 13 in favor of Cincinnati and then he came out of the locker room and just really they really turned it on and they they pulled away in the second half um they're 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 really good you know Desmond Ritter and Jerome Ford are both really really good players on that offense they that entire defense plays really well I think that their you know their defense is what we expected Georgia's defense to look like against Alabama um and obviously the, the competition isn't as high even though Houston was a ranked team but you know, it's it was it was an impressive performance against another ranked team. Cincinnati gets the job done. They looked impressive doing it, um, and, and now they're 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 going to be in a playoff spot as we'll get to in a little bit. But they're going to be the first group of five team to, to make the field of four. And and I think you know Luke Fickle deserves all the credit in the world for what he's been able to do there. Vic is the real deal, man. Um, obviously, we love him here uh, as Ohio State fans and Ohio State guys. I thought Houston would give them a little bit more of a game, and early on they did. Houston's got a heck of an offense. Dana Holgerson's a good offensive coach, um, but they just they didn't have the horses. They didn't have the dogs to keep up with Cincinnati, and Cincinnati's defense played uh, better in the second half as I thought that they would. It, it, it's great to see a guy like Luke Fickle go to Cincinnati after his experience at Ohio State, You know, especially the season as an interim head coach you know I think that that was 
completely unfair to him. I don't, I don't think that that was a realistic um, kind of portrait of what he would eventually be as a head coach. And he has proven that to be the case. He's a heck of a coach. And there were the rumors and everything around Notre Dame, whether he just, um, you know, said no or whether he was able to shut that out. I don't know what it was, but he was able to focus on this game uh, and getting his team a victory and getting to uh, eventually the promised land if they're lucky enough to do so. So, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was awesome to see. And it's good for college football that it happened to that Cincinnati went undefeated for a second straight season and to see them rewarded. It's, it's the right thing. It's the right call. And so I'm just, I'm happy for that program and especially Fick. Yeah. And it's especially a tough thing to do this season when Cincinnati came into the year with so much hype, with the expectation that, you know, if they were able to go undefeated, they would probably make the playoffs and to be able to actually execute that, get the job done and wind up in a playoff spot as the first group of five team is just super, super impressive. You know, it's not like they, they came out of nowhere and they, they, you know, this, there was just this plucky team that, that came from nothing and, and made the playoffs. This was a team that came into the season with a ton of hype. And that's, that is honestly more, that's harder to do sometimes than, than being the underdog where you have all these expectations on your shoulders and you have to, you know, they, they knew they had to go undefeated to make the playoffs. So one loss Cincinnati was not making it. So every game for them this season was crucial. And they did have a couple games where they stumbled a bit, a couple games where they struggled, but at the end of all of them, they're able to come away with a win. You know, they, they beat a bunch of teams by a lot, you know, even that SMU game at the end of the year, which was supposed to be a hotly contested game. They really blew the doors off of them. They looked really impressive against Houston. And so they're, they're going into the, the playoffs with, with a lot of momentum right now. And it was just, you know, I don't know, you know, we, we are obviously, we keep saying great things about Luke Fickle in this program, but it's just, it is so impressive what they were able to do there. And I'm sure that, you know, the vast majority of Ohio State fans will probably be rooting for Cincinnati in the playoffs of, of the field of four. You know, I know one team they certainly won't be rooting for. There's actually two teams they probably certainly won't be rooting for uh but you know I, I think Cincinnati is going to be a team that is, is a fan favorite of Ohio State since the Buckeyes aren't in the field yeah they are the only team I'm rooting for in the final four right now as unlikely as it might be you know they're going in as the number four seed they have all of my rooting interests and that just goes without saying yeah I mean I have good news for them with the last uh, team from Ohio to come in the playoff as the number four seed um, and having to play Alabama in the first round couple other games just to touch on here we don't really have to go too in depth on them uh utah stomps oregon for the second time this season really tough scene for oregon uh not not what you want uh utsa wins the conference usa championship game really great season for them and jeff trailer i'm sure you will hear his name uh put him in the playoff yeah 12 and 1 utsa I'm, i'm here for it uh better than georgia some are saying Uh, i'm sure you'll hear jeff trailer's name among some power five coaching jobs for the work he was able to do there uh, Northern Illinois wins the Mac. Uh, shout out to Thomas uh, Hammock for for turning Northern Illinois around. This team went zero and six last year and comes back this year. Goes nine and four, wins the Mac. Really impressive job by them. They uh, they beat Kent State forty one twenty three in what was supposed to be you know a, a pretty high scoring high, high sh- shootout affair. And they really they took control early and they never looked back. Um, and then the other other game I want to touch on was uh, Pittsburgh Wake Forest an ACC title game. Uh, more of a shootout in the first half. Pitt pulled away in the second half as a lot of these games were. Kenny Pickett played tremendously. He had that really cool uh, fake slide for that he wound up taking for a touchdown. I, I'm pretty sure that should probably be illegal, but it was really fun to watch. Um, Josh, any any of these games you wanted to to go into any further before we kind of move on here? I, you know, there's there's some stuff to talk about in all of them, but they really, other than you know Cincinnati winning and keeping undefeated, I don't think any of these games really had much of a 
an impact on the playoff, but they were certainly fun. Yeah, I think we're just delaying the inevitable, the game that we don't want to talk about. But I, yeah, Kenny Pickett, wildly impressive. Granted, I think you and I could probably put up points against Wake Forest, but that fake slide is one of the more unique plays that I've seen. And you're right. How does a defense even combat that? How do they pull up and uh, not put themselves in a position to get a penalty? But that dude's a baller. I think he's going to be a good. Uh, I think he's going to be a good quarterback in the league. Really, he kind of came, maybe not completely out of nowhere, but a little bit to um, you know kind of prove himself to be one of the better quarterbacks in the country. So, yeah, that was a cool game. I did watch some of that. Just a ton of scoring, which I thought would be the case, but um, you know everything else was just sort of fodder for the. Um, or, or filler, I should say, for the big games. And so I think that means we need to get to you-know-who versus you-know-who sucks. Yeah, before we get to that, I just want to mention, too, Jordan Aston played really well for Pitt. We had talked about him yeah, going yep. into that game. He had a, a tremendous game for Pitt. And I do agree. I think Kenny Pickett will be a pretty solid pro. I take him on the Giants right now over Daniel Jones in a heartbeat. I do really like Kenny Pickett as a player. But, yes, the the big game, so and so to speak, big being spelled B1G, uh, was in Indianapolis, Michigan versus Iowa in the Big Ten title game. Uh, pretty much exactly what we thought would happen. Uh, bigger blowout than I thought it would be. Michigan wins 42-3. to um, You know, we talked in this game, how is Iowa going to score? Uh, and they didn't. Uh, Michigan kind of did what Michigan does. They, they ran the ball very successfully. They, they pulled out some trick plays. There was a, a running back pass that went for like 75-yard touchdown. So they, they kind of emptied the playbook unnecessarily in this game, I would say, because Iowa just couldn't do anything with the football, as has been the case all year. Um, I, I don't even know. I, Iowa winning 10 games without a, any shred of an offense is, is pretty impressive. It shows how good their defense played this year. Um, obviously, you know, when you're relying on your defense for the full 60 minutes, it's, it's you know, letting up 42 points is going to happen. I think this is very reminiscent of what we saw when, you know, Ohio State went up against Clemson in that year. I think it was 2016 where they had a really good defense, but they got kind of blown out because they were on the field the entire time. I think that's sort of what happened here. Iowa's offense was able to do nothing, weren't able to move the ball. Uh, Michigan, as we expected, gets the job done, wins the Big Ten for the first time under Jim Harbaugh. And now they're they're also in a, a playoff spot. So yeah, I mean, it was what we expected. It was a bigger blowout than we thought, but you know, Iowa stinks and Michigan was the better team. Yeah, Michigan was clearly the better team, and uh, this is not really a shot at them. I like Iowa's defense didn't play that poorly. They gave up the big plays, obviously, and like the the play to uh, Blake Corum. Blake Corum's long run, the, the tackling was pretty shoddy, but you know. Um, Michigan, they ran for 211 yards, but 67-yard carry from Blake Corum. They had a 30-yard run from A.J. Henning. Outside of that, Blake Haskins averaged 3.3 yards per carry, or Hassan Haskins averaged 3.3 yards per carry, but he's able to punch it in twice. Cade McNamara, not even a buck 70 through the air, one touchdown, one pick, but they were just better all around, and they imposed their will on Iowa, and I, I had not really sat down and watched a full Iowa game. I watched a lot of this one. Their offense, man, is just, it's gross. Um, Tyler Goodson did not have a great year. I had high expectations for him coming into the year. Sam Laporta uh, is another decent Iowa tight end. But if you don't have a quarterback, which Iowa does not, I just, uh, you have to get creative. and. Iowa did the exact opposite of that. 
you know, um, a lot of interior run. They couldn't really get to the outside. That's because of Aiden Hutchinson and Jogba and guys like that. But um, Spencer Petras, ineffective. They brought in Alex Padilla late. He completed 10 passes for 38 yards. And the thing that just drove me wild was they went bootleg to the right like every other passing play, like they literally didn't know how to do anything else. And so I'm like, what was your game plan coming in? What was your plan to potentially adapt? And why couldn't you do any of that? And yeah, you know, Iowa, they, they got up to number two in the country. They won 10 games, but I I sort of ask what the point is in keeping Kirk parents around for decade after decade after decade if you know this is this is the end of your season, what's the point? You were not even remotely competitive in the Big Ten championship game, and you had not been in a while, and you literally can't score points. Um, maybe they need to get rid get rid of him and his son. I don't know, unless your goal is to win eight or nine or ten games, and that's it. If you're happy with that, then so be it. But I just I always put out some NFL talent on both sides of the ball but I don't feel like they're getting as a program. I don't feel like they're getting any better. I feel like Iowa is Iowa was Iowa. And so for them to represent the big 10 West, I think it's a bummer. I think Wisconsin would have given Michigan a better game because I think Wisconsin has uh, some better weapons on offense and also a really good defense. So I did not expect the blowout. I did expect Michigan to win and, you know, they trounced them. Yeah, the words Iowa and creative don't don't usually end up in the in the same sentence, at least especially on the offensive side of the ball. But I think your your point about Iowa is kind of just a, a greater point about the Big Ten West as a whole. Um, we've seen now in, in the seven championship games since they they realigned the divisions, the Big Ten East has won all seven games. And it just I think it just speaks volumes. It's almost like the Big Ten West plays a different sport than the Big Ten East. I mean, you have, you know, when it's Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State. In the East, you know, while while those teams still all like to run the ball, they're at least you know they 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 tend to pass the ball more than the teams in the West. And when you get those matchups of just a super run dependent, run heavy team uh, against a team that could throw it around a little bit, the the team that throws it is generally going to win. And it just seems seems like that these Big Ten West teams, whether it be Iowa or Wisconsin or Northwestern, they just don't have the offensive firepower to keep up with these teams in the East. And, you know, not not every team in the East, you know, obviously Ohio State is, is the, the biggest, you know, high-flying offense that there is in that, in that division. But even a team like Michigan, even a team like Penn State, like, they have more firepower on offense than these teams in the West. And I don't know if it needs to be division realignment. I don't, need, don't know if they need to scrap divisions altogether like they do in the Big 12. But I just don't see a team in the West having enough juice to, to take down one of these teams in the East. I don't know. You know, I do think Wisconsin would have played a lot better in this game than Iowa did just because they have some semblance of an offense, but I just don't think any of these teams in the West, outside of maybe like a Purdue, uh, would have a chance to really put up points like these Big Ten East teams do, and I don't care how good your defense is. When they're, you know, when your offense is going three and out every drive, it's your defense is going to struggle. So I don't, and it's, it's you know, it's, it's a bigger point that we'll, you know, maybe we'll get to this offseason, but the, the big, I don't see the Big Ten West winning this conference for, you know, at least in its current construction for quite some time. They need more firepower. The West, when you think of all of those teams, they just, they don't have the quarterbacks. They don't have the weapons like the teams in the East do. And to your point about possible realignment or anything like that, who knows if the Big Ten would ever look at it 
Um, I don't think Kevin Warren is creative or good at his job by any means. So probably not, but I just, I wonder if they would, if they would avoid doing so because it, it takes some juice out of the Michigan Ohio state game, but yeah, something's got to be done. I think because it's just whoever wins the big 10 East most of the time, you can just kind of pencil them in uh, if not pen them in as the big 10 champion. So it was a disappointing game, uh, especially for people who were rooting against Michigan. It was pretty evident pretty early on that they were probably going to run away with this thing. And they ended up, you know, doing exactly that, especially in the second half. Yeah, I, I wound up watching much more of the ACC title game just because there was actual offense going on on both sides rather than the Big Ten. I was flipping back and forth, but I probably, you know, I, I didn't watch a ton of that. I, I kind of, you know, once Michigan really took control, it was it was clear what was going on in that game. But yeah, you know, I, I think division realignment could be fun. Maybe that's something we discussed this offseason as well. You know, it would kind of, I feel like you would see an Ohio State-Michigan uh, rematch in, in a lot of the Big Ten title games if there were no divisions. So they'd probably want to avoid that. But it is it is an interesting concept to look at. Maybe, you know, I don't, I don't know how you'd realign things, but it is it is a tough situation right now. The Big Ten does not feel very competitive between divisions. So that is something that needs to be looked at. But nonetheless, those were all the games that happened this weekend, at least all the ones that, that had implications of somewhat uh, importance, uh, which brings us to the, the final college football playoff bracket. We've alluded to it a little bit here as we talked about some of these teams, but the final four is as follows. Uh, Alabama 1, Michigan 2, Georgia 3, Cincinnati at 4. So you have an Alabama versus Cincinnati matchup in, in the 1-4 game and Georgia-Michigan in the 2-3 uh, game, which is actually kind of, you know, they're both interesting matchups because, you know, we're going to have obviously a preview show where we break these down more in depth, but you have two teams in um, Alabama and Cincy that kind of, you know, they throw they both have, you know, good offenses. They both have, you know, solid defenses. Cincinnati, the better defense. Alabama, the better offense, obviously. And then you have the Michigan-Georgia game, which is more, you know, run-heavy teams, defense-heavy teams. So I feel like stylistically these these teams both match up pretty well. Um, should be two good matchups. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, you know since a lot of people are, are counting out Cincinnati, I actually think it's not the worst matchup in the world for Cincinnati. I think they do have, you know, a, a good shot in this game. Obviously, they have to stop allowing everyone to just stop allowing Bama to just throw deep to Jameis Williams every play, which seems to be their their only offensive play. And, and I don't think any team has discovered that yet. But I, I think Michigan uh, Georgia could be an interesting matchup. I think both of them should be pretty fun games. I'm hoping that we don't get our our annual one four blowout or even the two three blowout that that's been happening the last couple of years. So should be a, should be a decent playoff matchup. It sucks that Ohio State isn't there, but at least there'll be you know some some different different games than we've seen in years past based on the results i think this is what the committee had to do and i don't want to hear people you know talking about collusion or wanting to get two sec teams in the championship game um look it just it, it wasn't the right time for a rematch and i think that yeah georgia got beat pretty handily but if you're going to say that they were the uh, you know, the unparalleled number one throughout the season, then I don't know that it's, I don't think that it's right to automatically drop them to four. So I think the, the big problem is that there wasn't any other good teams to put there. Yeah. And that's why I think that I, I have no problem with the way that it all played out. I think Georgia's deserving of the number three spot. I think Alabama is deserving of the one spot. Now, if you wanted to, you know, tell me that Michigan is worthy of the number one. I'd say, yeah, I don't know, maybe. Um, but they beat a potentially fraudulent Ohio State team. 
And Iowa is just not up to par with the level of like a Georgia. So I look at the last victory and I say Bama had the better victory. Um, But I I think the way that they ranked those four teams was the correct way to do so. I think that uh, unfortunately, based off of what we saw yesterday, I think that since he might be in some trouble, but you know, who knows if Alabama overlooks Luke Fickle and his Cincinnati team. I think it's fair to say that they may have overlooked Coach O and LSU. They may have overlooked Auburn. So if they do so again, Cincinnati, in my opinion, is a much better team than LSU or Auburn, who both had chances to beat Alabama. I give Cincinnati a puncher's chance in this one. And then, frankly, I hope that yesterday pissed off Kirby Smart and Georgia. I hope that they take it out on that team up north. And I have no problem saying so. I'm not going to apologize for it. I was hoping that Michigan would get an SEC team and I hope that they beat them Um, unapologetically. So, but I think that'll be a really interesting game. Those are two pretty similar teams um, built by the run on offense, two strong defenses. It could be a low scoring affair. Who knows? But I think that there's plenty of intrigue and I can't sit here and tell you that, you know, in contrast to what I said earlier, I think Alabama is the favorite, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I think that Georgia is better than they showed yesterday and they still have to beat a UC team. I said that the best teams against Alabama are the teams that have nothing to lose. And I think Cincinnati's got nothing to lose. Luke Fickle has cemented himself as one of the best teams in the country. Uh, A lot of people didn't want to see Cincinnati in a playoff. They didn't think that they deserved it. Desmond Ritter could potentially go out on top, pull out all the stops, hope that your defense is able to stand on its head against a Heisman candidate and shock the world. Go for it. Ohio State's or, you know, the state of Ohio has done it before. Granted, it was Ohio State in the 2014 playoff, but um, I hope we see it again. Yeah, I'm looking at some opening lines here on Twitter. Uh, looks like Alabama's opening as a 13.5-point favorite, somewhere around there, depending on your sports book. And Georgia is opening as a 7-point favorite over Michigan. So obviously they're expecting that game to be a bit closer. 13.5 is a lot in a playoff game, but you know it is a group of five team against Alabama. So we will see what happens there. But just getting back to the, the actual rankings themselves, I, I tend to agree. I guess you know they, they obviously wanted to, as much as they're not going to say it, they obviously wanted to avoid the Alabama-Georgia rematch in the first round. Um I do think you probably could have had Cincinnati at three, Georgia at four, if that weren't the case. I think, you know, Georgia looked really, really bad yesterday. And I, I think that Cincinnati is, you know, they went undefeated at the end of the day. They, you know, they can't, they, they beat Notre Dame handily at their place. That was their big marquee game of the regular season. They beat, you know, you can only beat the teams on your schedule. And they did that every single week. Um, they looked really impressive in their title game. So, you know, I wouldn't have hated to see Cincinnati at three. I think Michigan at two was fair. Like you said, you know, the 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 Iowa win is not nearly impressive, as impressive as the Georgia win was for Alabama. So I don't think you were going to see Michigan at one, especially with, you know, how we've seen Ohio State look at times this year. I know that was uh, that's uh, that Ohio State win is bigger than any win Alabama has outside the championship game. But I think that 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 big win over Georgia really propelled them to that number one spot. So overall, the rankings, I think, are, are correct. It was really it was the easiest job I think the committee has had in quite some time. There were really no other even remote options for a spot. You know, Notre Dame was there sitting at number five. Uh, Ohio State moved up to six with uh, Oklahoma State losing. But 
I mean, neither of those teams you were going to put in. Neither of those teams played this weekend, so they didn't have any extra data points to put them in. If there was some chaos, say Cincinnati had lost, um, you probably would have seen Notre Dame just slide up into that four spot. Um, but luckily, that you know that that didn't happen, and so we got a really easy bracket to pick. I think everyone knew uh, the four teams going in, and everyone pretty much could could figure out the order they would be in. It was just you know the waiting for them actually to come out today. But now they're official. We will see that uh, you know around New Year's Day there will be you know bowl games being announced. I don't know if that's today or later on. I, I think it's almost certain that Ohio State will play Utah in the Rose Bowl. I don't know if that's been announced, but I think that's you know I think that's like pretty definite at this point based on where those two teams mm-hmm. finished. So. Um, you know, we're going to have – well, we'll talk about that obviously coming in, but uh, do we have any other any other things to talk about the playoff? I mean, it, it stinks that Ohio State's not in it, but it, it is what it is now. Yeah, it's it's still going to be fun to watch. You know, the, we, we're Ohio State diehards and we're Ohio State fans, but we, we love Ohio – or we love college football too. So these will be interesting matchups, and at least we have an Ohio team in there. Or I have an Ohio team in there. You know, you're an alum, but you're a New York guy, so um, – I'll, I'll be pulling for Luke. Uh, I hope that they shock the world. Cincinnati does. And um, I'll, I'll be rooting for teams in red or that have red jerseys only. I can tell you that any maize and blue will not be uh, part of my game plan to root for them. But, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the end of the season. Ohio State's still going to have a bowl game that I know we'll talk about more in depth at some point. And so, you get ready for that. You still get another opportunity to watch Ohio State football against another high-level opponent. So it's not the game or the situation that we wanted, but we still got one more in us. Yeah, and between now and, and the next college football games, there will be uh, some of the early signing day stuff. So there will probably be some Ohio State recruiting news to talk about. Obviously, the coaching carousel is going on and it is a, a flurry right now. So we'll definitely have some of that stuff to talk about as well. But other than that, we're really kind of just waiting for the next games around New Year's Day. Um a little bit of time off, get your uh, get your apple picking done as as we were to do. I think you know we're kind of we're we're past that. I would say now as we get into December, it's kind of just you know sit on the couch and watch the NFL on the weekends with with, with a beer at hand as you stay inside away from the cold. But you know there could be some fun wintry activities to do uh, with your significant others that you've neglected since the the uh, the end of September. So. Uh, that being said, uh, we'll get out of here. Uh, we'll be back sometime this week to talk about whatever's going on. Surely there'll be some some news around the college football world to to discuss with you all, uh, whether that be you know Ohio State's coaching staff, whether that be recruiting, whether that be whatever it is. There'll obviously some basketball going on. Well, we have we have the Bucketheads to talk about that, but we'll probably touch on that a little bit ourselves. They tip off against Penn State later tonight uh, when this is being recorded. This is on Sunday. But other than that, we're going to get out of here. Um, this has been Hang Out in the Holy Land. Be sure to like, rate, view, subscribe, all that good stuff that you always do. Um, And for Josh, Julie, I am Gene Ross, and as always, go Bucks.